Satin Radio. There is an old joke that goes something like this. How do echidnas make love? The answer? Carefully. So when a press release arrived on my desk with a heading, curtain study suggests rare echidna noises could be the language of love, I had to know more. Our next guest is Senior Lecturer in the Department of Environment and Agriculture. Her area of expertise is vertebrate ecophysiology, with a particular emphasis on native Australian birds and mammals. Dr Christine Cooper, welcome to the Afternoon Show. I appreciate you joining me in the studio. Thank you for having me. Doctor, what was the purpose of the study into echidna behaviour? Is it a way of ensuring a better understanding of Australian fauna and to ensure a better future for Australia's unique mammals? Yes, so our work on echidnas is based on understanding their physiology and their behaviour to understand not only echidna biology better, but also to put in context work with other mammals as well because they're monotremes. So they're an early form of mammal that allows us to interpret data from other mammals as well. I mean, apart, apart from obviously discovering the species, when you know uh, records were being first you know uh, founded uh, when this country was um, also discovered to a degree uh, was it has it been much work or uh, uh, research into echidnas yeah there's been their lots behavior? of research about echidnas so okay. because they're monotremes um, they're really particularly interesting to biologists so okay. they're ma- mammals that lay eggs which is just really unusual and they also give us an idea of how early mammals might have done things so we know lots about their anatomy and their behaviour and their physiology and they're also really widespread they're found all over Australia and so they're quite accessible to researchers where are they found in Western Australia specifically because I've never actually seen an echidna in the wild they're found all over Western Australia so they live in pretty much all habitats um, but my study site is at Dryandra National Park where they're particularly abundant and easy to find okay where's that park it's near Narragin Narragin okay Narragin okay well, that's, you know, really sort of like, you know, it's, it, it gets a fair amount of rainfall and so forth. So are there different, like kangaroos, like greys and reds and so on, is there different echidnas to different zones? There's only one species of echidna recognised, but there are different subspecies and they're really quite different in their anatomy. They look different and they also have different uh, physiology and different behaviour. But at the moment, we only recognise them as a single species. Okay, and what has your study discovered from echidnas? And I believe they don't normally normally verbalise or they don't normally vocalise is the word I think I read. Is that is that the case? It, it, they normally just make sniffing noises. Is that correct? Yes. So there was a lot of debate in the literature about whether echidnas could actually vocalise or not. So there was no published accounts. And we did find an old account from an honours thesis about 50 years ago that had recorded a single echidna vocalising and there'd been nothing published since then. So we were fortunate enough during our other research to hear the echidnas vocalising and we got some recordings that we could then analyse and publish. So you've taken a team of researchers with you out to Narragin and you, what do you do? You, you go into the bush and you, what, you just like camp in the bush to try and see if you can actually be amongst their habitat and get lucky enough to actually be able to record them by sheer luck? So these vocalisations were just um, consequential to our other research. So we would already had other research projects right. looking at their behaviour and their physiology and we happened to hear them vocalising while we were doing this other work. Is the population of, of echidnas in WA strong at the moment? Are, are they not endangered because of the any changes to their environment? Uh, not in Western Australia. So I think the kangaroo island Island subspecies of echidna is considered to be threatened, but not on in Western Australia. What's an echidna's greatest threat? Uh, habitat destruction or modification is probably their biggest challenge. Um, in Kangaroo Island, they do suffer from um, predation by feral cats, um, but Whoa. generally their spines provide them with pretty good armour most places. So it's generally conserving their habitat then provides them with somewhere to live. Are they a lovely passive animal? I mean, I know they've got a protective, you know, sp- uh, 
quills. Are they quills? Yep. Like yeah, they have spines, yep. Okay, so. but are they a nice? Are they a passive animal? They tend to vary quite a bit in their personality. So some individuals uh, tend to hide if you approach them, or they'll um, pr- adopt a defensive posture. So they'll dig themselves down into the ground, so only their spines are out to protect themselves. Others, if you just stand very quietly, they'll come up and investigate. And I've even had them come and climb over my feet. Um, so they're quite variable in their personality. Okay, but you're obviously not posing a threat to them, and they obviously feel that. That's why they feel comfortable enough to come to you. Yeah. So if you stand very quietly some individuals will come and investigate and carry on about their business some however will hunker down and just stay there until you move away so with the noises they're making are they trying to attract a mate is that the deal or is it just because they're for want of a better word on heat we or don't know what their vocalisations mean. So we have heard them only during the breeding season. So our hi- first hypothesis would be that perhaps they're related to reproduction, but we really don't know what they mean and really what contents they're using because we've only heard them a few times. And with this research now that you've recorded these vocalisations, would they be used in- uh, nationally and recognised internationally because they're such, so unique and so rare? Yes, so now there's really good evidence that echidnas can vocalise. So that allows us to sort of add that to the information we know about echidnas, but but also to interpret information about other mammals. So we now know that vocalisation had to have evolved really early amongst mammals because it occurs in both the monotremes, so platypus and echidnas, and it occurs in marsupials and placental mammals. So we know that vocalisation probably goes back to the common ancestor of about 200 million years ago. Wow. In regards to the research that you do, not just with echidnas, but in a broader sense, and your specialty being, you know, Australian birds and, and animals or mammals, I mean, do you feel that it's, it's a necessary subject that, that Australian students in particular should be taking on board for the protection of those species for our country because it's so unique? Yes, yep. So I'm an ecophysiologist, so I'm interested in how animals balance their uh, heat balance, how they t- attain enough water and how they attain enough food. So these are really important things to understand if we're going to understand how animals exist in their current environment and how climate change and other habitat modification might impact them. Is climate change a definite issue for Australian marsupials? Yes, some species more than others, but yes, it certainly is a major threatening process. In what regard? To their food source, to their... Uh, the effect of the extra temperature on their um, physiology? It depends amongst the species. So some of the species that are most threatened by climate change are those that live in environments where they essentially have nowhere else to go. So mountain pygmy possums, for example, there's not really anywhere else to go because they're already at the top of the mountain. They can't go any higher to avoid warmer climates. For some species, it's changes in their food source. So if climate change affects the vegetation in their environment, then that might affect their food or shelter. And for other species, it's water availability. And that will affect their breeding process and that also means that it will create you know, probably an extinction or, or a reduction in numbers in our in their natural habitat. Yes, so very rapid rates of change happen too quickly for these animals to respond to. So that can be quite threatening for, for some species. Is the Australian government doing enough to actually protect our species? In your opinion, being no. an expert, <laughs> no. Okay, so what what do the what does the Australian government need to legislate to protect? the uniqueness of Australian fauna? So the two things we really need to focus on is tackling climate change and protecting habitat for species. So we know what the threatening processes are for most of the species. We just have to have the will to tackle those threatening processes. So we really need to preserve their habitat and we really need to do something about climate change. And the proposed reductions of emissions really isn't happening fast enough, is it? No. But is it our specific emissions that are causing the problem to Australia or is it the global emissions that are causing the issues to Australia? We all contribute, but we have particularly high emissions per capita. Do we? Really? Because the government always seems to suppress that principle that we don't. 
and obviously you know you're suggesting that they do and you're, you're I will take it from a scientist that you've got you've got the facts and you know what you're talking about more so than um, diatribe from a, a political party in power at the time that are dealing with those emission regulations and trying to you know, encourage other countries to do so, looking like they're doing the right thing. But the truth is, if you want to stop something, you need to stop it now. Stop any further deterioration of our atmosphere. Yes. Yep. So climate change is definitely a really important thing we need to tackle, along with habitat uh, modification and destruction. And when you say, just to be clear, to what does habitat modification actually mean? So uh, if we... Urban sprawl? Yes, all sorts of ways that okay. we can change an animal's habitat. So they need their environment to live in, and if we clear that or degrade it in our, some way, then they don't have the environment that they need to survive. Yeah, but without... Uh, demeaning the comment this is not something a, a comment made by dare i say it a greenie this is absolute fact so regardless of someone's passion to look after animals or an animal like you know rights activists etc this is actual fact that you're describing to us right now which means that we are all responsible for doing the right thing to get the result that you suggest would be required for, for to sustain Australian uh, fauna. Yes, if we want to protect our fauna, we really need to act and act now. We've probably got the one of the world's worst records for conservation of fauna. Um, we've lost more species since Europeans have arrived in Australia than any other country in that time zone, and so we really need to protect our unique fauna, and so many of our um, species are really unique. They're endemic to Australia. Yeah, so what's, what are some of the uh, top of the Wazza fauna that we've lost because of... Um, you know, settlement and so forth and, and So and the most recent extinction um, actually was the Bramble K Malamies, which is the first species in the world to go extinct definitely due to climate change. So it lived on a little tiny coral K and with sea level rise, it lost its whole environment. It was essentially was flooded and it doesn't exist anymore. And that's only happened in the last few years. So it's not like these things all happened 50, 100, 200 years ago. These are, are recent things that are happening. And because I, I was actually thinking more along the lines of Tasmanian tiger, but that was at the turn of the last century that they became extinct. Yes, it was in the 1930s. So we've lost species in the last decade. Incredible. Um, Christmas Island pipistrel, another bat that has gone extinct um, in Christmas Island again in the last decade. So this is not just a historic problem. This is a, a problem that's happening now. Okay. Uh, so how do we get change to occur to support Australian fauna's survival? long term? We have to care about we have to understand that there is a problem, we have to care about that problem and then we have to vote appropriately. But do we approach our, our local members to try and take it then to legislation to make sure that it is enshrined in legislation and guarantee that this is going to be a, a positive you know, way of dealing with it in the future? Yes, ultimately that's how we need to conserve our wildlife. It can only go to a government level to be done? Ultimately, yes, that's how we okay. can, can do that. So next time you vote, think wisely about how you okay. choose to vote. Okay, well, the, this is great conversation, I think, because, I mean, really, because we do live in such a wonderful continent, and, and it is so unique to the rest of the world. I mean, to lose that uniqueness is just it's just insane to me. You know what I mean? Dr. Christine Cooper, I can't thank you enough for spending your time with me. And good luck with the research. And what's the next uh, What's the next plan? Of, what's, what sort of research are you looking into in the near future? So what we'd like to do now is understand what these echidna vocalisations mean. So we need to find out which individuals are producing these sounds, when they're producing them, and perhaps even do some playback experiments to understand how they respond when they hear the sounds. Okay. And how do you do that just take a speaker out and then start emulating it at the right 
volume level to see if it attracts attention to to the echidnas? Yes, yep. Or maybe set up some remote recording devices and cameras so that we can see what they're doing when they hear the sounds. Is there any other Australian fauna that you, you'll be doing research on in the near future or any plans of, of uh, research? Um, I'm lucky because I'm a comparative physiologist, which means I work on lots of different species. So, um, yeah, a whole range of different birds and mammals um, yeah. I work on. So, at the moment, lizards are something I'm working on at the moment and frogs. So, yeah, I okay. work on a whole range of different species. So which is a really nice thing. Reptile world, all <laughs> yes. of a sudden. Incredible. Listen, congratulations and well done. And thank you very much for being here because honestly, you're coming in to be able to discuss this across the desk is, is much easier. A big thanks to Dr. Kristen Cooper, the senior lecturer with Curtin University School of Molecular and Life Sciences. Thank you.